Today's episode of Poets at War is sponsored by the following. Hello, I'm Sarah Levesque, Editor-in-Chief of Logo Sophia Magazine. I would like to invite you to explore our Pilgrim's Journal of Life, Love, and Literature, both in visual format and in podcast format. Our goal is to help bridge the gaps between different Christian denominations and traditions. Please visit our website at logosophiamag.com to read or listen to stories, articles, poetry, and more, all for free. We look forward to journeying with you. time on Poets at War, we speak with Jason Farley of Lore.TV, Honey Bear House, and many, many, many other projects. He's a former youth pastor, a funny man, a writer, and most importantly, he is a kindred spirit poet like our general. This is Poets at War! good yourself i'm doing all right hanging in there i know been a minute since the fight laugh face conference i know <laughs> you've had your hands in just about everything since then <laughs> yeah it's been it's been nuts it's been a crazy i mean this the le- even just the last couple of weeks with the launch of lore have been mm-hmm. just like they've been uh good but very intense i've held back on trying to get in uh to the beta simply because <laughs> i feel like it's such a good, it's such a whirlwind right now. I feel like I would get lost in it with all the stuff I'm doing right now. You know what I mean? Like it, I'm excited for it though. I really am. Well, after this, I can send you an invite. I've still got a few left and uh, I'll cool. send one over, but you got 24 hours to use it or it expires. Right. Because we're trying to, uh, we're trying to also track engagement. I'm learning, I'm learning all sorts of things about a tech startup. You know, I'm just a, writer and a right you and me both (laughs) and now all of a sudden i'm in the middle of a tech startup and i'm learning about iterations and you know um trying out different things and tracking the engagement and you know it's it's good it's all new information though and and uh at some point i'll write a tech startup poem or something and there you go i like that idea if i can capture um (laughs) capture what it is to be a tech in a in a tech startup in verse yeah, that would be cool. Well, we this is one of those shows where it doesn't really have a beginning it, okay. I, as far as recording goes. So like, uh, why don't you give some people some background on lore for those who don't know about it? I've I've definitely promoted it amongst my my circles and stuff. But for those who still haven't heard. Yeah. So lore is a uh, it is a streaming and funding platform that is uh, trying to decentralize the way that uh, movies are funded and and streamed um, in order to give Christian creators the opportunity to enter the storytelling contest that's been going on since the Garden of Eden <laughs> at w- without um, being beginning at a deficit. So right now in our culture, Christian storytellers begin at a deficit either because, the church ladies tell them, here's the limitations on what you can or can't do, or because they're trying to use Hollywood's money, which comes with strings attached. And, and uh, the reality is all movies and television are crowdfunded, right? They're, they're paid for by the crowd. 
mm-hmm. at Netflix, you know, there's there's a handful of committees that basically uh, filter the different possible content up to a single person who makes the final decision. So all of the Netflix content is, you know, they bring in a couple billion dollars a month and they spend half of it on content. Right. And that that is crowdfunded, but it's the there's a single person deciding how the crowd's funds are spent. Laura is trying to create a technology that allows people to decide how their entertainment money is spent. So they have a their their subscription comes with the ability to vote and spend their subscription on the particular projects they want to see. And then the it's it's all streamed on the platform for for everyone that's a part of the platform. So um, it's an attempt to to prove what uh, what we believe, which is that if Christian creators are given the freedom to create to love God and create what they want, then they will win the storytelling contest that uh, we're in with the seed of the serpent. So that, that's what lore is about. So we just launched a couple of weeks ago. We're in the beta phase. It's going really well. And we're, we're uh, looking forward to seeing the, the, we're getting a lot of great feedback, um, but also just seeing the way that people engage has been really helpful um, so that we can, serve the audience that we're gathering as best as best as we can that's fantastic man i mean i i've been on since the beginning i've known marcus for quite a while through the grapevine through apologia is where apologia is where i i, I first noticed him so to speak okay. but i'm pretty yeah. sure i knew him when he lived in atlanta because i was in the same area Got it. and okay. um we were I was younger than I'm a good bit younger than him. And so I, I, uh, I I'm, I'm 32. Um, and so basically like with my situation, I think I was a kid just young enough to where like, he didn't recruit me into his little circle, you know, and even though Got I was it, a yeah. filmmaker storyteller type guy too, but I was like much more in the theoretical side of things at that point <laughs> in my life, you know? Right. So, um, but it's so funny, all the different connections. Uh, you met some of the guys that I worked with at, uh, from Yonder Child at the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference. Right. Yeah. And um, Adrian, Marcus and David, all, uh, uh, all David Shannon, and Chuck Knox, they all worked together at Wretched at various right. points yeah. in time. Well, Benjamin also worked at Wretched, my, my friend Benjamin, who you met, and Adrian, of course. And I was always the lone Presbyterian outside of that <laughs> circle. And now two of them are Presbyterians. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it's just kind of a funny thing. The other, the other funny thing, I don't know if I mentioned it at Fight, Laugh, Feast, but um, I was baptized and raised in Joe Moorcraft's church. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, you've been a Presbyterian your whole life. Right. Yes. Yeah, and, okay. and, and so it's, it's one of those, those funny things and we can talk about it some, if we want, if we don't, whatever, but this is one of those little rabbit holes with my relationship with Moscow in general uh, is such a weird one because the only thing I was ever told at a very young age about Doug Wilson, when it happened, the, the Auburn Avenue stuff happened and whatever else um was that and joe was one of the first people to shoot 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 off with that um was that this is uh faith by works leave it alone oh right interesting and so but those two like everything i know of doug which is admittedly all uh you know i met him once shook his hand once but as far as like everything you know he lives a very 
public eye, you know, kind of a person. Yeah, he's not yeah. fully transparent, but he's fully public. Let's put it right. that way. Yeah, right? he's got a, He's he 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 is comfortable living in his public office as minister. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and I have never met two people more alike than Joe Moorcraft and Doug really? Wilson. Oh, that's so honestly. Um, so yeah, there's very I, little I mean, they disagree on. But go ahead. Yeah. I I went. I uh, came into Moscow. Um, maybe not the normal way i was i heard the, about some of this but go ahead yeah, yeah. the youth pastor at the pcusa church mm-hmm. and you know to, just serving the lord i came to the lord in the pcusa uh, when i was a junior in high school i was baptized and had a great experience really good men discipled me um taught me taught me the basics of hermeneutics and bible reading and the importance of the authority of the scripture i learned all that in the pcusa and then found out the hard way that not every PCUSA church was good and healthy like right. mine was. Right. Right, so I, right. I had this great experience and then became the youth pastor of a PCUSA church that didn't, that was not uh, solid, but it had some good people in it still and had general, you know, people that were just there because they'd always been there. My, you know, I remember one, one, of the elders was a wonderful guy. And I said, you know, when I, towards the end of my time there, I said, why do you stay? And he said, my grandparents were baptized here, married here. My parents were baptized here, married here. I was baptized here, married here. My kids have been baptized here and they'll be married here soon. I'm not willing to leave that all behind yet. Right. right? Yeah. And he is. And he said, we've had bad pastors and I'll outlast this one too. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So exactly. you just had that that kind of mentality, and which is really honorable. Um, I I uh, tried to stay, tried to be faithful in that church, and basically just lost my job as they they weren't interested in. Uh, was, I was a little bit more of a hot gospeler at the time than I am now. Just I just was like, let's let's burn it all to the ground. Let's preach the gospel and see what burns up. It was your uh, version you know, of cage yeah. stage, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it was just, just young and excited and reading, reading a lot of church history and seeing the way the gospel had been so transformative in so many places. And I just expected it would happen here too. And instead God was like, actually, you've still got some death and resurrection to go through. So I, I, I got the, got the can. Um, and I was in my, but at the time I was reading RC Sproul's, uh, magazine table talk, which I loved. And at the back, you know, my wife and I were reading this article about, uh, culture and, uh, that said it's by Douglas Wilson in Moscow and Idaho. And I thought I'm in Moscow, Idaho. Well, that's, <laughs> and so we looked him up in the phone book. That's how we met Doug. We just walked over and knocked on the door, which looking back is a little weird, but well, that, especially just, considering how under fire he's been, he's like, right, where yeah. did this guy come I from? Had, I had no idea. Like I, did, I hadn't heard of the guy. <laughs> I didn't know anything. Didn't. And, um, and what year was wife, this again? This was around Auburn Avenue stuff, right? 2000, the year 2000. Yeah. So this was around the Auburn Avenue stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I remember that stuff happening, but it didn't affect me at all. I was right. Taking, I was taking in tr- like true full-blooded gospel preaching for the first time. And my right. wife and I were, you know, every week we we're leaving the church in tears. We'd never, we'd, we'd read about the gospel. We'd read the, you know, but we'd never heard it preached. We, we'd both gotten saved through personal evangelism, a friend of my soccer team. And then a, an, an older gentleman who was a lawyer um, in the PCUSA church that just said, oh, look, this, I mean, I was a punk rock kid, hair dyed 
highlighter yellow, um, you know, wearing was, I mean, I was fully embedded in the punk rock movement, you know, big, big chain. I got tattoos and all the whole thing. And he, and this old gentleman lawyer, right. Who just, he just said, Hey, how about you come over to my house on Sunday evenings? And, you know, we drink coffee and we, we talk about the Bible. And, uh, I was, I was like, Oh, okay. I've never had any, you know, anything like this. And he just, just the hospitality, the open heartedness, um, the willingness to walk me through a, a kid who knew nothing. Right. Um, you know, 16 year old spend kid. The time. Yeah. Yeah. You just, just as much time as needed he used to take me out to, to breakfast a, a couple times a month and learn, you know, you learn later, he'd been doing that for, for 15 years and he's still mm-hmm. been doing it. You know, so there's probably 200, 300 high school kids now who have been just transformed by this guy's one-on-one attention. Dan Finney, just one of the most wonderful men in my life that, uh, and it just uh, it th- prob- probably 300 kids and uh, so many of them ended up pastors ended up all, you know, he just, he's been transforming the world through this one-on-one, just faithful one-on-one evangelism over the course of years um, with high school boys, right? He just, he's just, he, he's a, a, a gentleman lawyer. I don't, there's no, no better right. way to describe it than a gentleman lawyer who, who, um, who knows how to take high school boys seriously without, while knowing that they're they not, not serious they're not, yeah, yeah they're not serious he's a, so he just so he he walked me through the scriptures he's the he found out i didn't own a bible right i'd been going to church for eight months found out i didn't own a bible got me my first bible put a put a marker in it at matthew he you know grabbed like a three by five card at matthew and at the end of jude and he said here's where you start here's where you end and then come and talk to me right and so I read it, read that through. And then when talked to me, explained it to me, actually I, how it works. I read Matthew and I started Luke. I was like, I already read this before. Right. Right. I, I What's like going on here? Right. Skip forward to the book of acts. And he, um, he just, just patiently, uh, introduced me to the scriptures and to the authority of the scriptures really, you know, um, cause I, yeah, I remember Ephesians five being crazy. Like, wait, so what's the stuff about submission? He said, that's what you're looking for in a woman, a woman that reads this and says, okay, right. This is the PCUSA. This right. is right. We had woman pastors at this church right. and he just was faithfully teaching the scriptures to high school boys. Yep. Um, and then, and then another, another, another lawyer actually that was, he was teaching Sunday school there for adults. He introduced me to the Westminster confession, introduced mm-hmm. me, he taught my baptism class. He, you know, so it's just, it was just men faithfully with having their eyes open to what young men don't have dads discipling them right and stepping into that role and you know i was blessed to have two of those and so then you know um got to but i'd never heard the gospel preached from a pulpit <laughs> so that's I, I jump in real quick on one yeah. thing my um this is another sort of thing uh, let me let me say one thing that i'm going to tangent back to later yeah. Yeah. And then uh, give on this one. 
This is why I love Knox Unplugged because this is exactly what I'm doing with you is essentially what you do with Knox. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I, I feel like I'm not so much in therapy because I have a lot of the same ideas as you and have for a long time. <laughs> right. And I was, right. I've always been the weird one amongst all of the, you know, more quote unquote orthodox people. Right. But still being <laughs> orthodox and knowing I am. Uh, and then the, uh, the th- here's the thing with that guy being faithful with the hundreds of guys that have come through, it reminds me of my aunt who recently passed away. My aunt was the pretty much the main pioneer, my aunt and her two sisters, one of which is my mother, um, and of homeschooling in the Southeast region of the United States. Wow. Okay. She started, um, homeschooling back in the very tail end of the seventies when there was no, infrastructure whatsoever there were a couple support groups and she took one and she ran with it and as a result of her work hundreds of thousands of people have in the southeast region of the u.s have gone to her conferences over the years um her son her son is continuing the conferences um and on top of that she did like her kids needed a whole bunch of clothes and there wasn't a central place for her to go and get them all because she had um uh, let's see, five or six plus one who, which was her, which was her sister who lived with them. Cause she was widowed okay. her son. So yeah. essentially like a nephew who's also a son. Right. 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 And so she, she just needed lots of clothes and she was like, you know what? I'm going to start a consignment, sa- an annual consignment sale. And it became one of the biggest in the region too, oh. for years and years and years. And she eventually sold that business, you know, yeah. but like, the, the the fact is like my aunt Rondi St. Dennis was like like there there are the, the the fact that we had such a big jump in homeschooling after COVID and all those other sorts of things, like we wouldn't have been anywhere near the number yeah. that we are now if not for my aunt specifically. Right. You know what I'm saying? There wouldn't have been the infrastructure, there wouldn't have been the knowledge. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. And that's the th- that's the thing that I, I'm constantly amazed by is just that just consistent faithfulness over time transforms mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've seen it with the, my, my wife raising our kids. I've seen it with, um, you know, the people in my church, I've seen it in my own life with, with, uh, people that have just dug in and said, I'm going to be faithful right here. You know, that there was a, the, the same church, there was a, a young couple at the time, that now they're not a young couple anymore, but they never had any of their own kids. They just were never able to get pregnant. And they, but they dug in and they discipled the, the number of, of teenagers that they discipled over the course of the, the 30 years that they um, just faithfully attended church and kept their eyes open for teenagers without parents. The number of kids that they influenced is so far beyond what you you even can really wrap your head around because now those people have kids and those kids are their kids are having kids you know um the that just patient faithfulness over time it really is the way the world is transformed we're always looking for a silver bullet but we just we don't have a we, we don't have a werewolf problem, so we don't yeah. need a silver bullet. You know, yeah. <laughs> we, have, well, our, we have a different kind of problem than that. Th- that's something that God's been teaching me a lot these past couple of years. I've gone through, um, I mean, everyone's gone through something with COVID. My whole thing was I was um, 
before Fight Laugh Feast, I was uh, formally let go by Honor Child Media, but they kept me on for, you know, freelance and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so basically like that caved out. That was my um, outside of doing my own stories full time. Uh, was was essentially like a dream job you know yeah um i was told by my parents for years and years you know you probably won't be able to find that kind of work they they underestimated how insane video and everything else was going to become right as everyone did i saw it coming no one (laughs) so so few people did i didn't fully see it coming but i knew it was coming um and so like it was it was a dream job and then that fell and for a while you know you flounder you search for every little possible thing and I'm at a point in my life now where I'm not worried. Yeah, I, I got a, a very part-time job with my church doing media because um, they needed someone who stepped in right away when COVID stuff happened. We yeah. did. We never closed, but we um, we went to Skeleton Crew and said people should, by their own conscience, decide if they should right. come or not, kind of thing. Yeah. And 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 we should probably be separating for a time just to see what happens you know yeah. essentially basically yeah, nobody, no yeah nobody knew what was going on exactly for a while there. Yeah. exactly and so um but i am proud that they never closed and they never put it on anyone's conscience i told my wife i said we are going to go out on the front lawn of the church and i'm going to give a little uh, homily if we have to do that you know what i'm saying like and whoever yeah. shows yeah. up shows up but that's what's going to happen you know and i'm 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 a deacon intern of two years so i'm okay. not officially ordained but i had i i just finished up my term because we do dutch rules you know where with, with the rotation terms and things like Got that yeah. yeah um and so i just finished up my term and next time i come on i'll probably be ordained but like i i, I got started as a deacon in training just before COVID hit <laughs> and I'm like, what a time to get trained. Oh, I yeah. know. Right. And I was like, if I'm the only quote unquote officer, who's not actually even ordained, who has to step up and do something, I'm going to step up and do something. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and have, so have you ever yeah. heard the story of John Owen's conversion? I think I have, but remind me it's, it's a crazy story. So he was a, he, he was a rhetoric teacher and so, and he had heard there's this really, really great preacher that was basically in a small town outside of the, he was in the city and there's a small town outside. And so for rhetoric research purposes, he was going to head out and hear this really great preacher who was famous. Well, he got there and, but through a snowstorm and the pastor was snowed in and couldn't show up and no elders could make it through the snow. And the only officer that made it was one deacon right? Mm-hmm. who stood up and he was like, I've never preached, um, but I'll just tell you what God has been teaching me. And so he opened up the Bible and he read a passage and John Owen says it, it was rhetorically one of the worst sermons I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. And I was miraculously converted by it. That's fantastic. Right? <laughs> so he, I walked in not believing and I walked out believing. And he said, and I, and I don't even know the name of the deacon. Right. I just know that he was faithful to stand up in the moment because he was the only officer. Right. He's not even a teaching officer. Right. Exactly. But but then John Owen, you know, ends up the, you know, he's the the pastor of England for a time. Right. right. He's the he's you know literally standing at the right hand of the of the leader of England, um, and and pointed to to preach the sermon that the nation needs to hear right Right. so yeah it's so yeah if if you're the if even if the only the deacon in training is all that shows up yeah just you got to stand up and 
do, exactly do, do the job whether you've got the skills or not that's right right exactly <laughs> obviously it's better if you've got the skills of course but it's not but, a skill thing it's but, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's not it's, it's a authority thing yeah it's authority right, yeah. and faithfulness you know faithful with your jurisdiction when you're like oh i'm in over my head man well let's- I'm, I'm going through right now uh genealogy um for myself and i haven't made it out of my uh great grandmother my my father's father's mother uh and her side of things because uh she uh, is so incredibly well documented like the level of insane a blessing oh man but i was just gonna say like it's something i'm seeing fairly often where when you can actually trace back to the beginning of a king's line yeah um you're actually seeing usually not just uh, like and it's not not even that it's not a normal man because it is totally a normal man we're all the same in whatever case but it's usually someone who is at the bottom end of an official structure and is put in a place where they need someone way, way, way better. Right. And, and that's something I'm seeing consistently throughout my family line. Um, jumping around, I, I really have to get to this one thing. This is one of the most, ex- you're one of the number one people I thought of outside of my regular like family circles and stuff that I wanted to tell that I, I figured this out. I'm more interested in the folkloric connections than DNA. <laughs> for obvious reasons you you and i know each other you know what's up so um because they're folkloric possible whatever blah 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 so little asterisks whatever (laughs) the furthest back relative i can find so far high king of ireland feradacht finfachnach something or other (laughs) is like legitimately his name guess when he was born uh that i mean with that name i'm guessing it's at least in the you know you're you're down to three numbers in the digit mm-hmm. what is it seven a d <laughs> oh that that's amazing <laughs> I, another... I can only i can trace my family line back to the 600s right that's so, still impressive that's still that's really a, impressive. that's a really long ways yeah so 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 he 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 was and, and looking at his reign because they have you know the high kings of ireland obviously and yeah, other stuff yeah. like that that's well documented so his he reigned like 30 between 30 and 40 years and he was born in seven which means the majority of christ's life on earth right was, my, my, my father was the high king of ireland <laughs> I and mean, that's that's when like the 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 leprechauns were still roaming right? the hills and for real you, yeah you still had the we're not even to wolves of ulcery or anything right? like that like oh that that's a that's fairy ireland <laughs> yeah no kidding so the fairies were whispering to the irish uh he'll be coming for you soon you know that, <laughs> exactly it's, a, it's one of the few places where i mean there, there's a handful of these places because you got like the inuits in alaska that had similar stories but but where the the actual like the the mythical creatures yeah. started saying hey when jesus comes be ready he'll be here soon you know exactly you have, so yeah that the irish um the, the stories of the irish are have you seen the movie the secret of kells oh yeah okay yeah, yeah. it's hands down one of my favorite animated it is my favorite movie of all, of all okay. it's my favorite movie it's, of all time it's, okay it's in my top yeah. five favorite animated movies of yeah. all time yeah, yeah. 
it's but, beautiful and it takes that i mean i don't know in terms of animation there's a cartoon network style that was developed mm -hmm. in the late 80s early 90s that i think is some of the best um just innovation in terms of animated storytelling with the multiple panels at the same time and they take that and they glorify it right yes they had always been used for comedy um, and it works really well for comedy because you're setting images side by side and you can take characters and point them at each other when they're not in the same scene and for comedic effect it works really well but they took it and they used it for sort of i mean to, to raise a spiritual level a typological side-by-side -side imaging you don't see i mean you see people doing it in stories at, in like high level yeah storytelling but they they did it in a way where you can put four images on the screen at the same time so that your mind is forced to compare what's the same right right it's beautiful it's uh, it's some of the best image visual storytelling that you run into it i love cartoons alone for that reason but um yeah. the the thing i was getting at was ashling like so many people miss the fact that ashling is a fairy even though she says it multiple times oh yeah the no. fact that that she that she's very obviously the last of her kind right. and she is given the chance to convert <laughs> like that that is so unbelievably profound for this it children's is. movie and it's but it, it's glossed over but it's glossed over in a way that glorifies the passing away of the old world yeah yeah it's the merlin it's the it's the merlin connection you know the uh, at least in the old stories where merlin is he you know his, his father is the or no his mother is the queen of the uh uh of uh, Atlantis, you know, mm -hmm. or or sometimes his grandmother was the queen of Atlantis, but but the that the connection the the he's a wizard by right mm -hmm. because of his connection to the ancient world and their continued connection to the stars mm -hmm. that that you don't really have in uh, it, you know Jesus takes over all of that authority, but Merlin is this connection, but his conversion to Christianity is symbolic i i mean in terms of the 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 mythology of ireland so to speak it's symbolic of the fact that it was that the or that the english were converted right that that the the english um in all that they were including their you know heathenism that that they were converted whole that, yeah that it wasn't a you know you have um that that uh all that was good about the english was retained which is the which is how conversion works right like christianity is a converting religion it's not a it, it's not a it, it destroys idolatry but it destroys it by conversion not by you know islam is not a converting annihilation religion. it's not That's annihilation a, yeah islam is a is a consuming religion right um, whereas christianity it gets hold of a people and it shakes off the the death right, right. <laughs> but retains the the people retains the 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 humanity of the people uh as a and and the continuity of the people um, right. which i think is is something that um in a trinitarian context makes sense and you get into a non-trinitarian context and you you can't can you can't make those sorts of distinctions and so 
that's why in, you know in islam so uh one of my favorite books of history is called the badass librarians of timbuktu okay um, it's and it's the story of this librarian family in timbuktu that when the when the islamic hordes were coming they gathered up all of the manuscripts of the library of timbuktu and divided it amongst he divided it amongst his 13 sons and said do whatever you need to 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 keep the library safe and so they went off in different directions on their camels and and protected the library for a thousand years they were able to regather the library a thousand years later um but it's because the islamic hordes were known for destroying the old culture they 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 didn't you know you you didn't get to stay uh you know a citizen of timbuktu and then just become muslim right you had to destroy everything kill destroy burn everything down um and if you wouldn't do it they'd do it for you right. and um and uh yeah christianity is a it's assaulting it it, it salts and preserves the humanity and we uh, saw that in the secret of kells too with the Vikings, oh yeah you know i mean it's the same thing you know yep yeah speaking exactly. of the 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 phrase badass uh and the phrase um uh and, and talking about vikings um i actually found and this is another genealogy thing just <laughs> the most ridiculous uh nickname i have ever seen um for a a real historical person um, one of my going through the Viking part of the line, uh, you know, the, the Scandinavian part of the line, uh, I found a half Dan Solveson guy, but his nickname sounds like something a D&D 15 year old kid <laughs> would come up with. You ready for this? I'm ready. Gold tooth, the violent. What? <laughs> oh, that's good. That sounds like a rap name, right? Right. Like you're you're, re you're ready to drop some bars. <laughs> that, that's good. Gold oh. tooth and violet. <laughs> oh boy, but yeah, I just I thought that was amazing. But yeah. um, that, that's a really good one. I don't have any Viking in me. I'm I'm Scottish and English and Irish and Welsh and German and Czechoslovakian, but no, no, no uh, Viking. See, I've got all of that. And then Cherokee, Danish, the Scandinavian, and then uh, like probably one more thing I'm forgetting, but it's, okay. it just goes all over the yeah. place. Like it's, it's unbelievable. And um, I was, I was going to flip back to um, what was it? Uh, I was talking about. Yeah. So um, what my, my experience growing up, I think is, and, and, and you guys have really helped me, you and David in, in um, Knox Unplugged, putting my fingers on some things that made some other kids in our church who were artistic kind of go off in some weird ways. Yeah, yeah. And I never did, and I could never figure out why I never did. Okay. Because it, 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 the church hasn't known what to do with its artistic males. For a long time. For for. A couple of generations. Yeah. yeah a, a couple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Several centuries. Goodness. I'd say, but you know, um, you may reckon different, but I, that's the way I see it. But the, uh, the, uh, the big thing, like, so this is a really, really big topic and I'm not really sure how to 
launch into it, but let me just say big picture and maybe you can kind of get at what I'm getting at. I was raised in a Vantillian general perspective. Okay. And Vantill is not Clark and <laughs> right. Vantill is also not Thomist really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like he's not traditional Thomist, not what PCUSA would consider Thomist. Right. Right. But then you got your Pugcast type guys. Right. Okay. And you've got you and some other folks who can parse the parts of Thomism that are biblical. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. St. Thomas was not a heretic. Right. right. No, no. Yeah. And I don't think anyone well, would say that even, right. you know, the even, staunchest even Vantillians. Van, yeah. Even the staunchest Vantillian. But I do think that we do tend to, to camp on the disagreements. I think this is a Presbyterian. I mean, we just, we like to disagree, <laughs> but it, it makes us happy and feel close to one another when we disagree with one another. And right? then the Baptists so, come in and then there's yeah. a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, so you don't, um, you know, even, even Schaefer, who had a lot to say bad about Thomas, wouldn't have called him a heretic. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, when you lean, when the, the people that stand on your shoulders lean further, mm -hmm. and and I think that's kind of where we are. Is yeah, until leaned, then Schaefer leaned a little bit further on Thomas, and now the people hanging off the end of Schaefer's shoulders are leaning even further on Thomas. Right. So to further, so to further connect a lot of this. There's a lot of, as people have said over the years, it's become, you know, uh, sometimes sermon outlines become a, not a byword, that's that's a negative connotation, but like a saying, yeah. sermon illustrations become a saying amongst people and ours is skinny branches, right? And <laughs> okay, so yeah. um, to me, the biggest problem with the people, like you said, who are leaning on the shoulders of Van Til, um, and what I was raised in, and I, I bear no ill will for it because I think they're absolutely right on the mark on 99% of everything right. Yeah, um, is that they don't have room for an actual thorough logical undertaking of the skinny branches. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so what I experienced a lot growing up was in hearing about everything from, you know, early understandings of Calvinism and what makes us different from the other denominations and that sort of a thing that I got, you know, around your 10, 11, yeah. 12 years old yeah. kind of age. Right. Right. Um, and, and you start developing a worldview. I go to world history class, get one of the best classes ever. I wish it was recorded from Joe because he taught me about Knox and Cromwell and all this oh, other kind awesome. of stuff. And it was, you know, we went all the way back to, uh, to, to basically after Revelation, he started at the end of, end of Revela Revelation with John on the Island of Patmos and basically went up through the American Revolution into oh, the, like the 80s and stuff and what happened and Reagan and whatnot and everything. And so it was wonderful. That's brilliant. I, yeah, but I, I wish I would have gotten that at yeah. when I was that age. I, yeah. I, but, I had to soak it up from George Grant uh, in my yeah late 20s george and 20s. george and joe are good friends are they okay. um yeah uh george has preached at joe's church before oh that's so awesome. uh but uh so they're so you're drinking from the same pond as i did regardless <laughs> but uh the the thing that i noticed in that world history class was a very strong lack after patrick and columba until uh basically like whitfield and the puritans Okay. And, yeah. and Cromwell and, you know, all that, it's basically the Reformation, right? Right. Um, right. And so 
I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say Whitfield and Puritans. I meant specifically like basically to Luther. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, I felt really weird and bad about it because I thought I was going to hear about all kinds of awesome uh, you know, knights and stuff right. and everything else that were historical people of the faith, but he kind of strayed away from it because of the, the what I consider to be anti-Thomism, not understanding the true Catholicity of the church, that sort of a thing. And even though they went in some bad directions, but yeah, yeah you kind of see where I'm connecting the dots here so far. Yeah, And yeah. I, I think, I mean, I think what happens is the high middle ages and some of this is just, it, it's inescapable, right? The high middle ages, the late high middle ages in particular, the, the last couple of generations leading up the, to the reformation were really corrupt, right? And, and it, it was corrupt the way our political structures are corrupt right now, right? So if you were to say, is America a Christian nation? You have people saying, well, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. And then you also right next to it have stories of Hunter Biden's laptop, right? You know, being filled with corruption and you know, you're like, well, yeah, but our president also is a communing Roman Catholic, right? right. Like right. he's a Christian in that in in a technical sense, he's connected right. to the church. So right. are we a Christian nation? Well, yeah, but are we also one of the most corrupt nations in the history of the world? Um I mean, we're, we're, we're doing everything we can to catch up with Belgium and Russia and, and the high middle ages, right? right? So you have this moment in time that is incredibly corrupt, uh, politically, the church is corrupt, the financial systems are corrupt. Um, and, uh, and because of that, most people are not, um, privy to, the true teachings of the scriptures. Now that is really, I think a pretty solid description of right now. Yeah. Right. You, um, and the reformation steps in at that moment. Now um, you're going to have, I've, I think, it, I think we're in the beginnings of another reformation. I, I, I agree. It seems like it. And if, and you, you know, if you sit and listen um, or, you know, let's say you just read through Twitter and you, you see the cultural condemnations of America Right for abortion, for the the different uh, embraces of sin that's going on, um, and then in two hundred years, everybody's like America was the worst. Let me tell you about the abortion rates. Let me tell you right now that's all true, and it's also true that when you look at the found early founding of our country and the rescuing of common law in a Christian context and the advancement Alfred the great. Yeah. You've yeah. got, yeah. So you've got the, so those can both be true. And um, it, 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 because it's a story because history is a story that we're living in, right. And where you, you know, the, the reformation is the third act of the middle ages. Right. And, and it's a tragedy, right. You've yeah. Got, you've got the, the, the medieval story is a, a tragic story similar i would say to the life of david yeah um, you've got this amazing beginning the rise and then the fall um into sexual financial uh, idolatry all of the things so in that story uh, this tragic story um what often gets lost amongst presbyterians telling the story is the real glory days 
mm-hmm. right? There was actual slaying of giants in David's story and in the medieval story. It's amazing. My son's middle names are St. Patrick and St. Boniface ST period. I wanted them to have punctuation marks on their birth certificates. My, my son's name is middle name is Cademan with the the ash with the ash. Cademan is one of my heroes, right? He's the, he's the poet, the great poet evangelist uh, that converted England. Um, We, uh, so you've got all of these men that um, and men and women of faith that uh, that were strewn all throughout the story, but it's a tragic story. So just like if you know, you, you know, when you would talk about Hamlet, if you never get to the tragedy of it, you haven't told the story of Hamlet. But Hamlet is also a great is a great hero, and that's what makes it so tragic. Yeah, I, I mean, Hamlet's my favorite piece of literature of all time, and it's such a well-written tragedy because Hamlet is such a great character, right? Yeah. So, um, and I and I think the the Church of the Middle Ages is that kind of great character that goes wrong, and we tend to focus on the goes wrong, um, but there's a reason, um, they produced really the greatest art the world had ever seen mm-hmm. right it was the that and there's a reason that many artistic folks of different eras have been drawn back to the middle ages for me it started with um i mean i wasn't raised going to church but uh, my uh, my elementary school librarian still did drop tolkien into my hands in second grade yeah uh, right second to, to fifth grade i was a tolkien nut and then discovered C.S. Lewis, became a Narnia, huge Narnia fan, and then was told, well, you know who they read? They read <laughs> Beowulf and Alfred. All right, so then I get into, um, or not Alfred, uh, uh, Arthur and the Round Table, right? Yeah. So I get into Arthur and- Alfred's know, so a type of Arthur, yeah, let's be right. real. He yeah, may yeah, be the real. type of Arthur. <laughs> he is, right? And so you've got- um, all this great medieval literature that draw that me myself as an artistic person, as a storytelling person, as a, um, as a young budding, you know, writes writing terrible poetry and all of that. Right. So I'm attracted to all of this stuff because of the beauty of the storytelling. And when I realize that I'm becoming an atheist in the sixth grade and start telling people I'm an atheist, I know I'm losing the round table. Right. Yeah. And that's bothering me. I'm losing Reaper cheap. And that's bo- like that. Like I didn't, it wasn't that I was worried about losing Jesus. I was like, Re- I'm not on Reaper cheap side. Like I'm, t- I'm talking to these girls about Sigmund Freud and you know, it, it's just mating and all that. And the whole time I'm like Reaper cheap would one run me through and throw me off the Don Treader. Like I don't have a place on the, and it bothers me because I know I'm losing the middle ages and that's what I, that's what I love. That's what I want. But so when Jesus finally catches me, um, you know, late sophomore year, um, I felt like I was getting, getting everything I loved as a child back, right. I was getting all my literature and poetry back um, that I had lost because of modernism and Freudianism in particular. That was my, that was my uh, kryptonite. Yeah. There's, there's this, there's this thing and I have, 
you know, I have my own group of friends and I want to transition talking about my group of friends to what we can do for the honey bear house. So don't let me get away from that. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. I, I want to get to that, but there's this thing because of what you just said, because, you know, a lot of the reformation people, we were on the other side of that battle in the high middle ages and it yeah. turned into the reformation with that. So we kind of stuck with our side and we kind of just like, threw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. I, yeah. And I think, I think you, it's the right thing to bloom where you're planted, right? Like right. God puts you there. You, it's not like we, um, a lot of young Presbyterians, especially Baptists that become Presbyterians, they meet GK Chesterton and they say, I don't oh, know man, to do with this. Yeah. He's a Roman Catholic. Right. Now the fact is he actually became a Roman Catholic towards the very end of his life. Right. So most of the books that protestants love he wrote while a protestant so. oh but he hated calvin don't you know but he didn't and i i, yeah. I know i know the no, whole thing yeah, and we've all, talked all i've that. talked about that but he, even if he did <laughs> right like right he we have a tendency to think that our justification has to do with which group we're a part of right as as we're a part of the right group but the reality is it's about knowing jesus right and so we meet a roman catholic that knows jesus and it throws us off because we think that we're okay because we're presbyterian i'm glad you brought this up because it's yeah really about jesus right yeah Chester knew jesus and he had a, and then he saw the world in a un, an uncrooked way and he describes what he sees jesus in, and he describes the faith and we're like oh no it's because he's a roman catholic but it's because he knows jesus and i'm right? so it's glad you brought that up because i am noticing a trend in my friend groups um towards something that i can see in the next 50 years uh a denomination and i'm not i'm not saying like we should join this side it sounds great let's start it now i'm not saying that because yeah. i completely agree with you this is me kind of thinking yeah, prophetically to, to wrap, and wrap through yeah, it. yeah 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 thinking prophetically whether i'm right or wrong and just trying to understand where things are going i have seen this archetype of a young man who is extremely into either physical fitness and or his own um uh, uh martial arts training who is a cage stage Calvinist or a devout Jesuit Roman Catholic or right. whatever, like they, they go from one end to the other. And then the common core thing is Lewis and Tolkien, right. And occasionally Chesterton. Right. Yep. And so this thing is happening over and over and over again. And there are some females who still fit this category and they have right. their own version of martial arts, which would usually be something in the vein of, and I'm only generalizing here, um, some form of restorative crafting thing right. where they sell and make money. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so this particular. They, they, they buy old furniture at, at and uh, fix it up. Yeah. I have a friend who does dolls. You know, yeah. Um, and she's been interviewed on this podcast. Her name's T.K. Wilson, and her brother is a martial artist. You know, and they <laughs> live in Malone, New York, and they're cool people who are uh, uh, former SBC folks who are who have uh, gone into both Roman Catholic and Reformed Presbyterian ends of things yep. as far as their theology. And they're part of a congregationalist church that is like a historical oldest church of Malone, New York. I yeah. love America. Oh, it's amazing. In America. It's amazing. But what I see, I see a denomination forming of some sort. And I'm not saying that it is uh, a, a lot of people go, well, that's the CREC. It's not. But the thing that I'm saying is I see a denomination forming that has a, a strong emphasis 
on um, the basically like if you put CREC uh, 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 medieval ideas of medieval chivalry and um, uh, the Salvation Army aesthetic not like the Salvation <laughs> Army themselves, like the charismatic right, thing, right. but, the but like the whole ar- army yeah. idea, right? Like right, that yeah. whole aesthetic and turn that into a denomination with a bunch of reformed theology. <laughs> I, I totally see this happening. And That's I don't funny. know, I don't know how I feel about it, but I, I see something like that happening in the next 50 to hundred years. I mean, I think there's this, there is a desire to be a part of the right group and um, right. And, but, but all groups in America have been severed from their historical roots. Yep. So in the present, when you say, well, I'm, I'm just trying to be a part of the right group because of that historical severance, um, there's a, a, I don't know how you would put it. Well, let, let me a, put it. Let dis, me put it. A dislodgement almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, let, let me try. Let me try if, if that's yeah, okay. Go for it. So the Atlanta Braves, my team, uh, they, and, and I, I realize the irony of me saying my team in this conversation, but. <laughs> no, it's uh, great. I'm a, yeah. I'm a warriors for me. Okay, the, cool. Yeah. So, so the Braves are the oldest professional baseball team. Mo- okay. Most people don't know that. Um, they were started as the Cincinnati Red Stockings. So guess what? Cincinnati says they're the oldest team, right? Even though they're, they're not, but they're not. Then they became the Boston Red Red Stockings, and so the Boston Red Sox say they're the oldest, but they're not. They became the Boston Braves, Milwaukee Braves, Atlanta Braves. You know, yeah. like so. So there's there's a. But the thing is, the players themselves, the the vast majority of the team, and the way it went down through the years, and the owners, and everyone else in the leagues they went into. It's the Braves and it's undisputable. The fact is we are sitting here as the Red Red Sox, the Reds, et cetera, saying we're the oldest team (laughs) as as, as Americans. That's essentially what we're doing. We're acting like we're this chosen Western race when England's sitting over here going, uh, guys, but also at the same time you know, dealing with all of their liberalness and everything else, right, right. you know, and Germany saying their thing. And, you know, all the, like all these different Western countries are acting like they're the OG Western yeah. culture. And the fact is nobody is at this point. Right. Well, at this point, yeah. Western culture is a, is a lost ideal. Now, um, this is, I think this is the reason that Tolkien is the the best selling author of all time? There's only three books that have sold more than Tolkien. Do you, do you know what they are? The Bible's one, right? Bible is yep. one. Yeah. Shakespeare, maybe. Nope. Pilgrim's Progress. Okay, love it. Right, and then the, <laughs> uh, Harry Potter. So, <laughs> which I think is actually I don't have. I liked Harry Potter. I don't have any problems. I know that they're. I, I understand that there are folks that uh, have issues with Harry Potter, and we can we can talk about that. That'd be fun. I, I am ambivalent on Harry yeah. Potter. I think I, really, I I I was not allowed to read it as a kid because of the hoo ha, and yep. then I read it as an adult, and I'm like, this is lame. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I read it as I read it as an adult, and was like, this is wonderful storytelling. Oh, there's stuff it's, in it that's good. Yeah, it's yeah. she's a she's a, a 
a, a knitter of yarns storytelling yes. wise. And I think she's great at that. And so you, you don't look at it and say, well, is it Shakespeare or not? Right. Or you is it Tolkien or Lewis even? Tolkien or Lewis. And then you say, well, for what it is, I, it, the, yeah. the whole world reading Harry Potter is so much better than, than, than so many options. Right. I'm yeah, shocked. She's a, she's a she doesn't get more. I was just going to say, I'm shocked. She doesn't get more, uh, comparisons to even though her books were generally longer uh Roald Dahl she reminds me in tone of yeah. Roald Dahl well that, so know. what she so he and so he wrote uh he wrote um school stories right Roald Dahl almost all school stories a, lo a lot of stories and that's what she says she's writing mm -hmm. right she's like I'm writing school stories old English school stories and so she's a classicist she's really well educated she's a professing Christian and she's like, I loved Lewis. I, and, but I, I also, so I want to, I'm trying to take that, that kind of the Lewis's Narnia style mythology and tell a school story with right. that. Right. So she knows right. what she's doing. She's smart, but, but Tolkien, um, he sells so much. He's, I think he's arguably the most popular poet of the modern era. Right. Cause people actually, I mean, no, nobody else's poetry is read as much as his because mm -hmm. it's all embedded into his novels. He understands the death of the West and mm -hmm. he's mourning it in literature. And that's what, that's why it's so popular because people, it resonates and people don't know what it is that resonates. He's got a, a great little allegory that he tells about the tower where he says, you've got a, you've got this tower up on the top of a hill and people go up to it and they look at it and they tear it apart and they uh, they try and figure out what each brick was and they they end up you know um, with with a pile of rubble and they look at it and they say I don't understand why anybody cares about this says, but what they don't understand is the man who built it could stand on it and see the sea yeah right? was that Weathertop uh, well that's what Weathertop ends up being based on is yeah. this this mythology or i just uh, wanted to make sure we were, i was thinking of the right tower yeah, anyway. this little allegory that he tells where he, he's like people look at western at the western tradition of literature they look at western literature and they look at the stories and they want to analyze it and they tear it apart into its pieces and this is what you don't understand is the reason it was so popular is because of what people could see from it yeah right? people built this art uh, edifice of literature that they could stand on and they could see for miles and miles. And he says, we, and we don't, we don't look at literature that way anymore. We don't look at the, the joy. We don't look at the, the longing that it creates. We don't look at the way that it lifts our eyes above our surroundings because most of our literature is now written in a communist setting and communism. It destroyed, just like it destroyed, it destroyed, tobacco you know and you can't get a good cuban cigar anymore it destroyed literature because everything has to be realistic um but the whole point of the whole you um the whole story of western literature is that it lifted your eyes to reality off of what you could see right and um that's the poetry and the literature of the west i mean that's why i love teaching med medieval literature and and uh, you know always read the medieval poetry and the you know everything pre-romantic although i like there's some great victorian poetry too because they were trying to restore that 
I see you totally answered a question that I, I was planning on asking with all of that, um, which was, um, and you can launch a little more into this, then I want to get back to my friends in Honey Bear House. But uh, that's why the modern Reformed Church, both Presbyterian and Baptist, for good and ill in various ways, is obsessed with the Gettys. <laughs> we, the uh they're and they're the they're the hymnists right from yeah the uh, from ireland yeah. yeah northern ireland yeah yeah i mean we sing in christ alone at yeah. our church that's the gettys right uh the, he was involved with but Stuart townsend wrote that but yeah they, oh, they, they're okay. they're they're adjacent to uh they're, in christ they're alone. getty adjacent <laughs> yeah yeah but but okay so but is it is it because it is a connection to an older him hymnology or is it because they've rejected it's a combination of okay so the gettys they they try to do uh their number one thing is lyrics they want them to be super reformed you know calvinist yeah. lyrics which is i applaud wonderful they do their melodies and some of their instrumentation are celtic in nature okay and so they they do that celtic aesthetic um, but they are doing it in more of a folksy modern, uh, like worship music kind of yeah, way yeah, to try yeah. and bring that accessibility together. And I applaud them for all of their own mission. Um, personally meeting them, they're a little bit stranger than even I'm used to. Um, can I, I might as well tell you, I told, I told this on the podcast one time, but G3, uh, you know, G3 conference. I'm familiar. Um, I've never been, but right. Okay. So I went, Keith uh, uh, was going to go on for a panel, Keith Getty on um, a, a, uh, a round panel discussion. So word had not reached me, the lowly grunt helper backstage with Yonder Child that he in his contract had a no um, ear mics, only, only handheld mics on a stand period for his entire thing, including okay. his roundtable discussion. And so I was sent with an ear, uh, you know, your little ear mic kind of thing yeah. to um, earworm mic to mic him up. Like I've been miking everybody up for the past yeah. several, you know, segments. And so uh, I, I said, okay, here, uh, are you ready? You know, hold, show, show him, you know, whatever. And he, um, he doesn't say anything, stares at me for just a little bit too long, <laughs> and then removes his one side of his jacket and stands there looking away from me. Um, I'm like, okay, some people like it when you put it on them and they don't have to worry about it. Some people, you know, will try to help you and get it situated the way they want it. I'm trying to be as, you know, careful with body language and whatever else. It's one of those awkward things that you do as a grunt. Yeah. And so... I'm putting it on his ear and it's constantly falling off and he's moving just enough to where it starts to fall off it, but it doesn't appear intentional in any way. And then like, um, basically I kind of got to a point where I needed to stop cause I was all up in his business yeah. and, um, he finally just kind of looked at me and it's falling off of his ear and I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, okay. And he walked out and the whole time it's falling off his ear and the sound guy is going nuts trying to figure out what went wrong. <laughs> and I explained what happened to, to Adrian and everything else was going on. And they got him a handheld mic as soon as they could. Um, 
and he just held he just held the handheld mic so like i feel like this was an irish and american thing i'm like just talk to me bro like, <laughs> like tell me what you need like, Amer- americans <laughs> don't we don't do that we're just like blah but yeah, it was it was just yeah. a really weird thing, and I've always just felt very weird about that. Um, but but that's, funny. that's a good story. It is a good story, and it's yeah. hilarious. You know, like you, I know you love the humor, the, the ridiculously awkward in your right. in your. That's in, my yeah. specialty. Exactly. So that that's that's a good one. But anyway, the 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 point that I'm getting at with the Gettys is, we have a draw to our heritage and our history in the West, and there's and I think Celtic in some ways, in some of the new age and some of the other sorts of stuff that has, has occurred over the years, the church realizes, well, part of that was us, part of that was the pagans, you know, whatever, but we can at least appreciate the aesthetic. And they're starting to weave that back into a lot of the hymns. You're, you're noticing okay. this sort of neo-Celtic revival amongst a lot of the Parisian worship music. And I think it's this longing for what the reformation threw out and a lot of people don't even realize that's what it is right they 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 don't they're they they're bobbing along without a connection to history and they're looking for anything yes yes whether it's real or or fake and that and that's i mean that's just we're historical creatures and you can't live against it for very long before you start you know trying to figure it out i mean this this was the the 90s there was a huge genealogical revival everybody wanted to know their genealogy again and that that happens it just pops up every once in a while you know you get this desire to be connected i think that's what's behind a lot of the dna testing you can find out like oh i'm seven percent but of course we got to do it by science science right yeah we We got to do it by science Uh (laughs) not not by folklore that, that that we're looking for that real historical connection but we have defined real we've redefined what the word real means yeah right and this is this is where i think thomas is actually helpful because he digs into like the different when you the different meanings of the word real um and and this isn't i don't think this is something that you would have even disagreement on amongst the uh, uh yeah the presupp- presuppositionalists they they agree on this sort of thing but um, they don't think have, it's the problem. <laughs> well, I think I think so. In my experience with presuppositionalists, it the focus ends up being on so so heavily on um, epistemology. Yes, that the the questions of metaphysics don't get addressed. Right. And Thomas was still in, in an age in which metaphysics was a major question. Right. right. So because you got. Uh, Denise Diderot, the French philosopher um, who comes along after the the French Revolution, and he is in the the encyclopedist movement, and he moves uh, theology, which was the queen of the sciences. You know, you hear that in the, in the Middle Ages, it was the queen of the sciences. He moves it to a subset um, within philosophy. So philosophy is is the it's the big category and within that theology is one of the categories but it's separate from uh metaphysics it's separate from epistemology it you know it's and um we have sort of swallowed that that in our assumptions um that 
that epistemology is actually the important question and then and these other ones have aren't aren't the ones that we need to in one sense it is and when one sense it isn't the problem is we never get past epistemology because we're sitting there arguing it with everybody right because we're doing a because it's an because philosophy is for apologetics right you know we we tend to think now i love apologetics and think it's an important thing but it's it is um we've moved philosophy um into that conversation mm-hmm. and so we don't have we don't actually ask questions like well what does it mean what is my identity what is what is my real identity and what how am i using the word real and um dig into those questions because i think we're we're just we've just accepted a lot of our we, we're swimming in modernist waters it's, it's- as soon as i got introduced to van till and, bon- and bonson and i was in a camp where the precepts and everything were um treated not so much as an apologetic tool but as a foundational principle um the, the the when it was treated as if you take and it's it's theonomy like you're talking with Knox, the, the, like not theonomy in the campy kind of way like the tribal kind of way but theonomy in the foundational presupposition that god ordained this for this purpose got it okay that the deuteronomic law and now i'm going to use the thomist version of this uh the, the, the he made the law for something right okay so this is where i think things intersect when you actually take these things as a principle instead of always trying to apply it, which I think is a, a evangelical problem. Okay. <laughs> where we're always trying to apply every single little bit of theology we get everywhere we possibly can. Right. We because get this beautiful paint and we put it all over the walls, even though it's meant to go on a canvas, you know? Yeah. So that, that, that that's kind of my idea is, 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 when, it, when I was given Calvinism, Vantillianism, theonomy, uh, post-millennialism, you know, these really core fundamental truths, as a kid who grew up on Narnia and Lord of the Rings and all these other sorts of things, and it was given to me by, by, by my father, who also had these foundational principles, but also really enjoyed Pink Floyd, you know, and all these yeah. other sorts of things, he was able to kind of help me realize that these are foundational truths that lead to the Pink Floyds and the Narnias and the, all these other sorts of beautiful, wonderful things. Right, right. You know that, that the expression, um, that that the expression of truth should be in beauty. Some you know something along those lines. Yeah, and 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 I do think that you know that that's a weakness in the Reformed Church, but the principles are there. Yeah, you know, I think I think. We have to be, um, it takes the ADHD people <laughs> who are minds are going on a million tangents, like this conversation in order to come to these conclusions. Cause everyone's stuck at ground level, you know? Yeah. Well, but I, I, and, and sometimes, you know, you've got somebody that's on the artistic end of things and they have questions they, and they want to ask questions or they want to dig in and understand and they're treated like, no, you don't, we don't ask questions. And so, so you do get that sometimes, or you get somebody that is more artistic and they're told like, well, no, we practicality is actually the standard. 
right? Right, right. And um, so you do get that sometimes, but I think most of the time, you know, we, we are, we, we tend to just live in fear. I mean, Christ, we, you know, working in Christian movies is like this. Most of the time we decide if a movie is Christian or not based on what's not in it mm-hmm. rather than based on what's in it. Right. right. Because we're living in fear and um, w- our fear causes us to say, well, but that movie has this in it and that and that in it. So that, so it can't be a, a Christian story or, you know, but, but that's actually not, you don't judge a, a story based on what's not in it. Now right. you might judge the appropriateness of a story based on what's not in it. Right. Like, is this story appropriate for a four-year-old? Well, it's got, you know, murder in it. No. Um, I mean, unless it's Nemo, that's <laughs> right. So, but it's got, it's got this level of violence or something. And so we d- judge the appropriateness of it, but that's not how you judge if something's, you don't judge if something's good or not by based on what's not in it. That's not right. how standards work. Um, but when you're living in fear, that's how standards work. What's I funny mean, is we come from that perspective. Yeah. We, we, we end up at that perspective sometimes and we claim we believe in total depravity. <laughs> Yeah, we're like, okay, if there's nothing bad in it, then there must be something good in it. Wrong. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but okay. Um, yeah, let me, we're, we're all we're all bad at being at being humans. That's not one of our skills that we generally bring with us into anything we do. So <laughs> you're, you're a guy who goes long on podcasts, but I want to be uh, careful of your time. Let me get to my friends really quickly. And then if we have anything else, we can go ahead and, you know, yeah. go through that and wrap up. And I'm not saying I don't have time. I'm just saying I'm trying to be <laughs> under understanding of your time. Right. So um, I have a group of buddies. They have mainly been in a Facebook messenger thread. I've tried for many different times to get us to change platforms in various ways, just because, you know, Facebook messenger is kind of closed and weird and whatever else. Um, and it's Facebook, but you know, uh, but we've kind of stuck there. The initial idea of the group was just a place where I could send my friends uh, the links to the things that I make, but it turned into its own group and was renamed by a friend of mine named Michael Bush to the brood of writers. <laughs> and then the name has changed since then to wonder brood to okay. include as instead of like wonder bread to, yeah. uh, to include um, people who are not writers, but are other artists. So it's too bad. Um, it wasn't the brood of writers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's closer to brood of right vipers. So. <laughs> uh, but uh, basically uh, my, th- my group is all over the place. Um, we all met basically online Um Minus like my brother and my wife who are in there. Um, but uh, we have uh, probably as many Catholics as we have reformed people. Um, and it's just this weird, goofy mishmash of Tolkien Lewis lovers that are also yeah. creators and makers and stuff. And um, I just wanted to let you know about them and uh, let and, and hear more about Honey Bear House and let you know that they're available. I talked with Joffrey briefly on Messenger. Excellent, yeah. And and I want to get him on the podcast too. I mean, it's called Poet he's a, War for Pete's sake. Yeah, he's a great pod. He's a great uh, interview. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and but basically, like, I'm just saying, there's a bunch of people. There's my, one you might even want to talk to as far as lore goes. He's trying to get a movie based on a hundred Hans Christian, an animated movie based on a Hans Christian Andersen movie made. Okay. Uh, or story, you know, Hans Christian Andersen yeah. story, um, the shadow, if you know that one, um, more obscure. 
Yeah. I don't know that one. That, oh, I know. Right. Yeah. It, it was right. obscure to me too. And I love Hans Christian Anderson. Um, but uh, there's so many great artists and people who do everything. And I mean, right. everything. And we're willing to work on anything. And most of them will work on stuff for free, even, you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. whatever the case may be, like, hey, do you have a person who does this, Joshua? I'll let you know. And and <laughs> I, right. ju- I just want to be really upfront and helpful because there's a bunch of really solid, even theologically Catholics and a ton of really good reformed folk, you know, and, and a yeah. bunch of stripes in between who just love Tolkien and Lewis and poetry and all these other sorts of things. And they're itching to be involved in more projects. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons that I was so excited to jump on the board at Honey Bear House is mm-hmm. because there isn't, you um, his, historically, the church has been one of the great funders of the arts, mm-hmm. right? Has, has um, been, you know, the, the, the patron kind of central patron of the arts. And, um, you know, you, you, it's more obvious in music um, because so much of the music you look at and is literally Christian music that, you know, the great, the great classics, great classical music. And, but, um, and if you're in Europe, then it's also obvious in terms of architecture, right? It's not, it's less obvious here in terms of architecture. I mean, if you go to South Carolina or someplace, there's some great church architecture, but for the most part, it's become invisible in our memory that the, that the church, that Christians have been patrons of the arts. And so Honey Bear House is an attempt to build a patronage system that can um, specifically focused on, on the, 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 you know, uh, arts that have to do with language. So storytelling, um, music, poetry, those sorts of things, you know, where um, the art, if you can't get funding for, there's a, actually a really helpful book called Real Artists Don't Starve. That's 10 different um, artists throughout history and how it was that they made a living. So what different patronage models basically for the arts. Um, and it starts with, uh, oh, it starts with, um Leonardo da Vinci and it ends with ice cube right and so it's very broad in terms of here are 10 different patronage models it's a really great book uh Jeff Goins wrote I'll have to look that up yeah um but but the patronage for the arts has disappeared and if you if you can't pay for art you get less of it you get more you get less of what you don't subsidize and more of what you do subsidize and so honey bear house is a, a a patronage house that is going to uh, really focus on a couple of things. One is becoming a patron of language arts projects that uh, that are designed for a particular community to enjoy, and then can hopefully have a broader appeal beyond that as well. So um, that, and then uh, secondarily, um, we're going to build a major or build a library um, that is specifically for uh pres- preservation of the language use the 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 artistic language use of the church throughout history so um do because those are the things that um you know the church needs to be a preservative influence and but also you know um 
David's told, hey, sing a new song. And then we sing this psalm, sing a new song, you know, and then we, we disobey it because we don't. And I've heard, and I've heard you and, and, and other people, and I agree with them talk about conservative in the, the wrong way where they're, you know, um, conserving what until, you know, it all dies, you know, smothering it, you know, whatever the thing is you're conserving. And obviously you're not talking about that. One of the things that poets at war has mentioned many times, especially with my interview with Phil Lawler of adventures and odyssey. Um, he, uh, he mentioned, the movie firefly and it's one of the or, or serenity excuse me oh the, yeah, yeah yeah and 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 i i was like this is one of the tenants of my life um <laughs> and was before you mentioned it and it was just nice. such this amazing moment because like i listened to adventures in odyssey growing up and then my my mentor you know in many ways like he, he mentions it and it's like i'm yeah. like yes so um basically uh uh mr universe he says can't stop the signal mouth and, and that is an act of war. That is an act of subterfuge and sabotage to conserve the library. Right. That's where poets are really at war in one sense. That's just the people in Kells, like we talked about, you know, doing the illuminated manuscripts, making sure that even if they do get captured, the beauty will find its way out. Right. Right. You know? Well, and I mean, I, so I was my, my so a, a librarian at, Mullen Road Elementary School, you know, public library, Mr. Zagalo, the librarian, changed my life by putting a book in my hands, mm-hmm. right? It, uh, and, um, and I started going to the library uh, in elementary school with a backpack and filling it up um, every couple of weeks. And, and you know, the, the library, library changed my life. Um, and da- down to, you know, there... I didn't get an education in poetry because it wasn't available in my school, right? I public schooled and, and I had good, I had some good teachers and, but there wasn't an education in poetry. It just simply wasn't available, but the education was available if you had a library card, right? So um, I, so the, the need for physical libraries that don't, you know, that don't jettison things that are no longer popular is enormous yeah. and uh and so yeah it, it gets me excited about what's going on at honey bear house and we've got a we, we're we're not that far away from a, um our first public fundraiser um and you know what's what's great is we don't need tons and tons of money uh, we just need enough to get started and so and i and i'm on the board joffrey is the guy running the running the thing and so yeah you should get him on he's a great interview yeah well i'm gonna um wrap the podcast here but i wanted a few more moments with you afterward if you have them not yeah. super long but just a few more uh everybody remember uh, well, no, no no i'm not gonna wrap it here i'm gonna get you give me your plugs i need your plugs first then we'll go from there <laughs> anyway uh my plugs yeah uh, check out lord.tv um l-o-o-r l-o-o-r dot tv um uh knocks unplugged is the is uh my podcast with david shannon we have a really good time i want him on too but i can't get him yet (laughs) yeah he's hard he's harder to get he's he's a busy guy yep um what other plugs i mean you can buy my books on amazon if you if you're looking for in pursuit of kindness um on what does it look like to live a kind life as a Christian? A couple of books of poetry. Um, and Honey Bear December. House? 
And then, uh, yeah, go check out Honey Bear House. You can go, uh, we have a, a page on Facebook. You can go and uh, like it and and uh, get updates as they come out. And, and then uh, that's, that's going to be uh, a lot of fun. So trying to do some, some version of the jet of Def Jam poetry is uh, what I'm hoping that I get to, to uh, do there is find, find poets to, to uh, do some live poetry. Cause you and I are so much more alike than you even realize, sir. All right, everybody. Well, uh, do not turn to the right or to the left, be your family's bard and God will follow you wherever you go. Join us in the trenches next time for Poets at War. God of song, said the warrior part, though all the world betray thee one sword, at least thy right shall guard one faithful heart shall free.